tonight to 2 Thessalonians. We were in 1 Thessalonians last week, and these were two separate letters that Paul sent to the church at Thessalonica. And when we look here tonight, we're going to see some things, and uh, I wanted to give you, I was trying to think of a good example of why 2 Thessalonians was written. In a few minutes, I'll get to it. And uh, maybe I could have real quick, Anthony, come on up here, Alfred and uh, Harrison, why don't you come up? So pass these out to, there's three different things. Anybody who wants a copy of this, give them a copy, okay? And then you're going to see my illustration here in a minute. It's talking about the end times. There's three timelines I'm giving you. So just take those. You can add those to your notes and things. And so they're all three different. Take all three of them. And I'm going to explain to you here in a second why 2 Thessalonians. And so we'll see how fast they can do this. These teenagers can't walk and chew gum at the same time, so they're trying to pass. And so they're, they're, for you, there's only each one of you has one. So you, you don't have two different ones. You've got the same. What do you have there? What's, how do you have two different ones? What were you doing over there, Andrew? You got two different ones here? So, okay, so what happened here? This Andrew, thanks for your... I messed it up? Anthony messed it up. Someone messed Okay, so we'll do this. Give me one of these. Give me one of these. And so, no, so this is how it goes. You should have one that looks crazy, one that says um, 70 weeks of Daniel, and then there's a third blue one that says timeline of the end time. So there's three different ones. One looks confusing. One talks about Daniel. And if you're not confused yet, you will be in a second. If you're at home, you're going to see these. I'll put them on the screen for you in a minute. And so you got what? You got five? That's, that's how you're supposed to be. You got everything you need right there. You're good. Wow. Okay, so everyone got what they need? Who knows? I don't know. So you should have one that looks crazy like this. A crazy looking one. You should have one that says 70 weeks of Daniel, and it should be simple, simplified. And then you should have a blue copy. Harrison has those, the blue copy. Let me get one of those, Harrison. And so once they go all around, I will show you these three one more time and see if we're in order here. And uh, I'll do better next time. I'll make sure that they're in good order. So Joe is still waiting. They're waiting. The, he didn't get theirs yet. You're bringing that back to them. All right, so Joe, if you go to the end of the slides for tonight, you should have one that looks confusing, that, that one right there. So everyone should have a copy of that. Anyone not have that copy? Raise your hand. Okay. So, who has this one? No, who's past Anthony, you got this one? Okay, back corner. See the hands up? They're the ones who need that one. All right, we can do this. We can do this. Here we go. They got this. We got it all under control here. We're getting there. All right, so anyone else still need the confusing one? Okay, Angel needs one back there, one of the confusing ones. Do you have a copy of that? You have this one? Okay, I'll take these from you. Okay, so he's got these ones. All right. So we're good there. Second one. 
Put up the second one on the screen for me, Joe, please. Wow, talk about fun. So there's this one, the timeline. of Anyone not have this one that's on the screen right now? Anyone not have this one that needs it? Are we okay? All right. Then put the last one up on the screen. Anyone not have that one that needs it? There's three papers along with your notes for tonight. You should have five pages total, okay? Say, Pastor, why didn't you just put all five together? Because that would have been simple, okay? I wanted to confuse you a little bit tonight by having them all separate. And so I think we're good. If you're missing something, tough, okay? We'll give it to you later on. And so literally as we will dive in in a few minutes, we'll look at these things. So keep those close by. What are you missing? What, what was this? That, what did you just do? Now you just can mix them up even more. Okay, there you go. That's, that's the help I get. That's what I get to spend two hours with before church, the teenagers. Are we good? The wrong one. Which one do you need? That one? All right, we're good to go now? In all honesty, my sermon's short tonight, so I need them to just take up a few minutes is what needs to happen. Um, I, need to put, I need to send out that picture that Ryan sent me the other day, that shell going into that gun. That was pretty funny sermon illustration there. 2 Thessalonians chapter number 1, all right? Now, if you're not confused, I'll help you get confused. And life can be confusing. That's the title of tonight. Life can get confusing. We look at 2 Thessalonians chapter number 1, the short book, three short chapters, 47 verses. And there are many chapters in the Bible that are longer than this one, than this whole book, just one chapter. And so it's short. If you were to take time to read it, seven to eight minutes you could read through this passage. And so literally, we looked last week at 1 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians was probably written about a month later. Barely any time has passed by, but there's some confusion on the part of those in Thessalonica. What happened was they received Paul's first letter. They read it, they saw the things that Paul had for them there, and, they, and a report was brought back. And there was some good news, and then there was some bad news. We look at chapter 1, we look at verse number 1, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus under the church of, the, of Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the ways that we know that this was written close, not long after 1 Thessalonians, is the same, he's, he's addressing he, the same ones he's He's got Paul, Silvanus, and Timotheus. The same three are together. That kind of gives you a hint there. Verse number three, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as does meet because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth, so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. The good news was that this church, they were still doing the right things. And Paul was praising them for their love for one another. But Paul says, I'm also hearing about your tribulations and the persecutions that are taking place in the church there. And the Christian life, sometimes we get it a little backwards. We think trials, persecution, 
tribulations, that's a part of the Christian life. We've never been called to live an easy life. I think sometimes we get that thought, but that's not Bible. If our life was always easy, we'd need to apologize to all those who the Bible was written about for all the hard times that they went through. And so tonight I want to take a little bit of time and I want to look at this passage of Scripture and just talk about the fact that life can be confusing sometimes. We're going to look at some thoughts on that and I'll give you some thoughts and you'll have those outlines there. We'll dive in. Let's go, Lord, in prayer and then we'll go into it. Father, we love you and we thank you for this evening. We thank you for your love. We thank you for who you are. And I pray that as we gather here tonight and as we study your word, that you just help us and encourage us and grow us in this passage tonight as we look at it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. What message is Paul seeking to give these Christians? He had just written them. And remember, he wrote to them, they are wondering what happens when our loved ones pass on. And Paul told them about the hope of Jesus Christ and told them that you need to comfort one another with those words until the Lord comes in chapter number 5. This is how you should live in light of the Lord coming. And so, why do you need to write another book so close to that time? Well, this is what happened. They started going through a lot of persecution and trials at the church in Thessalonica, and so they got some confusion. They started thinking, did the day of the Lord already happen? Why are we still here? They were a little confused about all that Paul had told them, and Paul needed to explain things a little bit more. That's what happens with Bible prophecy. Look at the confusing one I gave you, the confusing paper. Put it up on the screen for me, Joe. Does that look confusing or what? It's pretty confusing. You could look here, and I see eternity at the beginning of things. I see the Garden of Eden. I see Adam to Noah. I see these different time periods. I see all these things. I see paradise, where those who, those who, knew, those who trusted in God before Christ died... Abraham's bosom, I see that down below. We see, the, um, we see hell down there. We see so many things. And this is sometimes what happens. We think about Bible prophecy and the end and everything else, and we see something like this, and we're like, what in the world's going on? Because it gets a little complicated. So if you look, I gave you a paper that says the timeline of the end times. You see, it looks a little bit more simple, doesn't it? It just breaks it down a little bit and doesn't give you all, it doesn't go back to Adam and trace everything forward, doesn't give you every single detail, but it makes it, it puts it so that you can understand it a little bit better. So we look, and we look at this thing here, we see it begins with the present church age. That's where we live today. We are in the church age. You see the long line. It talks about the rapture of the church. At some point, the church is going to be raptured. We read that last week, where the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we that shall alive and remain to be gathered together with the Lord, and so will ever be with the Lord. The rapture is going to happen at some point. When the rapture happens, you'll see something, that there is three and a half, there's seven total years, the tribulation time here on earth, when the rapture takes place. That's the tribulation. And then at the end of the tribulation, you see another long line. 
That is the Lord's second coming. That is known as the day of the Lord. It says the return of Christ, but think of it as the day of the Lord. When the Lord comes and conquers, the millennial reign of Christ will last for a thousand years. When that time is up, there will be a final judgment at the, white, at the great white throne judgment, and all those without Christ will be cast into the eternal lake of fire, and then you see heaven established forever. It's a little simpler here before your eyes. We also look, there's one other map that I gave you, or one other diagram here. And we see the 70 weeks of Daniel. Those who study prophecy, and prophecy is good to study, and the Bible says you're blessed to study it in the book of Revelation. But far too many Christians spend too much time studying prophecy and not enough time just giving the gospel out. Studying prophecy should get you more concerned about the souls of men and what happens to them. But if you are the backbone of Bible prophecy has to do with the 70 weeks of Daniel. I don't have time to go through all of it for you, but there are 70 weeks determined, 70 weeks of years. The Bible talks about in Daniel chapter number 9 that when the decree would go out for, Israel, for Jerusalem to be rebuilt, the clock would start. And the clock would continue to run till the Messiah was crucified. That time, and you see on the map there, 445 B.C. is when Artaxerxes declared for Jerusalem to be rebuilt. And then you see Christ in the triumphal entry in 32 A.D., 69 weeks of years was completed. The Bible tells us in the book of Daniel the time stopped there. Why? Because the Jews rejected the Messiah. They crucified the Messiah. He's not our Messiah, so the clock stopped. And what God said basically is, you know, Israel, I'm not going to work with you right now. You rejected me. You can figure things out. The church age rolls on. Someday the church age will end. The church age ends when the rapture takes place. And then if you notice, only 69 of the 70 weeks of years has been complete, which leaves one seven-year period left known as the tribulation, to bring an end to everything. That map, or that graph, is a lot easier to understand as well. But when you go back to the first one I gave you, it's got all that in there. But it's got even more, and more, and more, and more. What the church at Thessalonica needed, they needed Paul take this and to break it down like this. That's why 2 Thessalonians. You look at chapter number 2. Look at what he says there. Now, I, now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there be a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. That is talking about the Antichrist. And so we keep on reading here, and we'll read just a little bit more. It talks about the Antichrist here, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, 
or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. There's going to come a point during the tribulation where the Antichrist is going to, right in the middle of the tribulation, the three and a half period, he's going to sit in the temple in, Israel, in Jerusalem. That's the abomination of desolation that takes place. And so what Paul is doing here is he's telling them the day of the Lord hasn't happened yet. Because you got to understand there's going to be a falling away. I will tell you, I look at our world today and we are getting closer and closer to that time. Look at how Christians are today and don't tell me there's not a falling away happening among us. You see it before our very eyes. Another thing that will happen, let's read a little bit more. I'll explain a little bit more, then we'll get to our outline when we're done. Verse number 5, Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. And now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. What is that verse explaining to us? The fact that the devil is at work today, but there's something restraining him from taking power. What is restraining him from taking power? The Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God is not letting Satan do his thing yet. There's going to come a day when the tribulation comes that the Holy Spirit's going to move out of the way and Satan will rise to power. It's another thing why the has to be taken out of here because let's think for a minute the antichrist let's use the mark of the beast i hear christians all the time and christians just need to study the bible just a little bit if you take the mark of the beast you will not go to heaven mark my words so if you're a saved child of god would you take the mark of the beast no and don't they're going to deceive you with it you have the Holy Spirit of God inside of you. We're going to be out of here when all that takes place. And let's say I'm wrong and we're here when that all takes place. A saved child of God will not take the mark of the beast because you know better because of who lives inside of you. Because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. But the Holy Spirit is restraining Satan from fully. Imagine how bad it's going to get if Satan isn't fully unleashed on earth right now. The Holy Spirit's restraining him. There's going to come a day where that restraint's gone, and he's just full out attacking. We keep on reading. It says, and, uh, and then that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume, it's talking about the Antichrist here, with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, now, those of you, how many of you like watching those movies, the Left Behind movies? Anybody like those movies? Yeah, they do a disservice to Christianity. Because they make it seem that Mr. Steele could know about God from his wife and not receive Christ before she gets raptured up. And then magically he gets saved after she's gone. If you've been given the truth of God and you've rejected it, you will not get saved during the tribulation. Say, why not? Look at verse number 10. It says, and with all deceivableness of uprightness, un, of unrighteousness, in them that perish, look at this, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. For this cause, 
God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So I've, I've heard people say, I'll just get saved after the, after the rapture takes place. If you've heard the truth and you rejected it and the rapture takes place, that verse tells us right there, you're damned. And you're going to be given over to strong delusion. You will not believe the truth. You're going to believe a lie. You'll believe in the Antichrist. You'll get the mark of the beast. And you're doomed to hell. So those movies, though they try to give a good Christian outlook on things, could hurt a lot of people. Because it's not biblical. This is what the Bible says. I'm just saying what the Bible says. Do we have a problem with what the Bible says? No, because the Bible's always right. And so Paul's letting the church here know the Lord hasn't come yet. I know you're going through it, and maybe has the, has, the, has the Lord left us here? What's going on? And Paul's like, just relax. He hasn't come yet. There's going to be signs when he comes. There's going to be things that happen. Don't be soon shaken. Don't be, there's going to be things, just like a woman going into labor, there are things that lead up to it. There are signs. The water can break. You have those wonderful uh, contractions. You know something's happening. There are signs that when, as we get close. And Paul says, it's not that time yet. When that time comes, the Antichrist will rise to power because the Holy Spirit's going to move out of the way and let him. I love that, the fact that Satan doesn't run and rule everything. The Lord lets him do what he's going to do. But do you realize that God's still stronger than Satan is? Don't ever forget that. Let me give you a couple points here tonight. And if some of you, I just confused you completely with Bible prophecy. Bible prophecy can do that to you, but it's not, you need to know the, the basics. If you need to go deeper for yourself, good, great, wonderful. But I tell you, know the basics and go tell someone about Jesus. That's the best thing you can do. That's by far. The other day, being able to lead Frank to the Lord, that will do you much better than someone to Christ than studying and knowing every in and out and what the big toe on that statue that Daniel saw, what it really means. And, uh, but there is a meaning behind it, but I won't give that to you tonight. So, let me give you a few thoughts. What was Paul trying to get to these believers here? Number one, he was trying to give them some hope despite persecution. Some hope despite the persecution taking place. To give them some hope. And hope one of those things that people cannot take away from a believer. You know, let's, let's look today. Today I was not as thrilled with what took place in Washington, D.C. as I was four years ago. But my hope's not in Washington. And let me make sure you Christians understand something tonight. Even if, if oh, <laughs> i got to be careful what I say. If you voted for who's in, the, in office right now, you should probably come to the altar and ask God. To, no, I'm just kidding. But, um, I, and you say, well, what? You, you wait and see. We had a very pro-life president. And watch how that's going to change. We had a president that was big on religious liberty. It's not going to be the same. But I will tell you this, what is your job as a Christian? To pray.
pray for your president, no matter who it is. To pray for the vice, pray for, doesn't the Bible say to pray for kings, all that are in authority? You need to pray for them. Do you know, we might not love their politics and things that they stand for, but do you know who could change their heart and they could actually do good things? Jesus could change their heart. I'm not going to sit around and complain for the next four years. I'm going to pray for them. Now, don't get me wrong. If, they, if there are things that go against the word of God that they stand for, you're going to hear me talk about it. And I'll do that with any president. I don't care if they're Republican or Democrat because we stand for the word of God. But we have hope. We have the Lord. I talked to some Christians the past few days and they say, you know, I feel hopeless. Why? What's your hope in Washington? Get, get a life. Really? Turn the news off. Close your Facebook. If you had parlor, that's not even open right now. But if you have any of those things, we have hope. The world's just going to get worse and worse. It's going to. You know something that's interesting? You want to talk about Bible prophecy for a minute? You know America's not mentioned in Bible prophecy? You know what that means? You mean is America going to be around at that time? Probably. But what it tells me, America doesn't matter at that time. I'll leave that there, and you can think on that one for a little bit. Hope despite persecution. You all got quiet on me when I started talking about that stuff. Just love God. Live for him. Tell someone about Jesus. Have you told anybody about him this week yet? He's the best thing you can talk about. All right, let's keep on going. Look at verse number five. Paul says, Which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which ye also suffer. And when we talk about hope despite persecution, you think about this, when we suffer, when we go through things, when there's persecution, we are identifying with Christ himself. And he suffered for all of us, and we identify with him when it takes place in our life. We can look at verse number 6, it says, Who shall be punished with ever?" or verse number 6 says, Seeing it is a righteous thing, with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. And what's, what is Paul saying under inspiration here? They're going to get their due. You might get persecuted, but remember that Jesus is coming. And when he does, vengeance belongs to him, and he will take care of things, and he'll make things right. Sometimes we look, it's just not fair how... Why do people get away with things? Be not deceived. God's not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Just trust him. He's just. He sees things. He knows things. People don't get away with things. And Paul's giving them some hope despite the persecution. And then in verse number 12, it says that the name of the Lord Jesus may be glorified in you, and ye in him according to the grace of our God 
and the Lord Jesus Christ. And God is glorified when we suffer for his name's sake and shows his grace through our suffering, this verse lets us know. Now, there are times in life, though, where we say we're suffering for Christ and we're just stupid at that time. We're suffering because of our stupidity. Don't claim to be suffering for Christ when you just do stupid things, okay? I'm just suffering for Christ. I heard someone, and I'm not going to use names, or a while, it was a while back, a guy sitting in jail for doing something wrong. I'm just suffering for Christ. You're suffering because you were an idiot, that's why. And because you were a sinner, that's why you're suffering. It has nothing to do with you being a Christian. Now, tomorrow, in Northern California, in Santa Clara County, the Calvary Chapel there, the pastor there is going to court. There's over a million dollars in fines against that church from Santa Clara County for them having church. He has $45,000 fine against him. And Santa Clara County wants him put in jail tomorrow for five days because of this. That's suffering for Christ and standing to have your church open. God is glorified in that. God's not glorified in our stupidity. There's a difference between the two. Number two. He wanted to give them some comfort despite some confusion. Comfort despite confusion. We already talked about this just a little bit ago. They were confused. Had Jesus already come? Maybe that's why all this persecution, tribulation had come. Were they left behind? You got to understand something. They didn't have the whole Old Testament. They didn't have the book of Revelation yet. There's lots of things they didn't have. They probably didn't have the book of Matthew to learn more about these things. They had very limited access. That's where you look and you think about these letters being written to these churches, and we think of them having the whole Bible. They didn't have the whole Bible like we do. I'm so thankful for the Word of God that we have the whole thing, and not just bits and pieces of it. There was a group of people in the and well, after the New Testament finished, they were called the Paulicians. Do you know why they were called the Paulicians? Because all they had was Paul's epistles. They had nothing else. Now, Paul's epistles, those are wonderful. There's so much. They didn't have the Gospels. But in Paul's letters, there's enough about the Gospel, but I'm so glad I've got Matthew, Mark. I got the whole thing. Don't take the Bible for granted. We do. Don't take it for granted. But they, they were confused. They talk about the day of Christ. As I mentioned, when we talk about the day of Christ, the day of the Lord is when he comes and that battle of Armageddon takes place. The Lord, that's the second, that's the return of Christ. When the rapture happens, the difference between the two, when the rapture happens, we meet the Lord in the air. He does not come to earth. We meet him in the air. That's the rapture. Us that are saved and alive, the dead rise first, we which are alive and remain, we caught up together in the air and we're with the Lord. That's the rapture. The second coming is after the tribulation's complete and there's the battle of Armageddon that takes place. Revelation chapter 19, if you want to write that down, look later on. And Jesus comes to rule and to reign and he sets up his thousand year kingdom. It's called the day of Christ because he's finally going to be acknowledged for who he's always been. The first time he came, they were waiting for him to set up his kingdom. Hey, Lord, when are you going to set up your kingdom? He wasn't coming to set up his kingdom. He's coming to die for us. But the next time he comes and he's here, he's going to rule and conquer. And he's going to speak and people will die. 
And so they were just a little confused about it. And Paul's just letting them know, hey, don't let anybody deceive you. And that's the thing. There were people that were deceiving them about it as well. And we have people in our day and age that do the same thing that call themselves religious. You know, there were just a couple months ago, some people who called themselves religious prophets that prophesied that Trump would be reelected and he'd be in office. They were wrong. There are some people that prophesied the Lord on this day or that day. No one knows the day or the hour. That's what the Bible says. And so people will try and deceive you. That's what happened. So you need to be careful who you listen to. I'm not telling you I have all things figured out and know everything, but there's a lot of study and there's a lot of Bible of what I give you. And if you just go online and you just trust, trust the average Joe or Jane, you better watch out. There's a lot out there that can deceive you, and that's why you, got, that's why you need to be grounded and settled in a good church where you learn the truths of God's word so you know for yourself what's right and what's wrong, and you have something to stand on. But Paul was giving them some comfort. Hey, the Lord hasn't come yet. He's coming, but don't worry about that now. There's things that are going on, but in order for him to come, the Holy Spirit's going to have, and he goes through the whole spill of all those things. And then we see Paul closes his letter by basically saying the same things he did in the first letter. Chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians just says basically, with all that's gone on, with all that's coming, just live for God in light of his coming. And what does the book close with, the third chapter? It closes with diligence despite uncertainty. Just stay diligent to God, stay close to him. I think if you were to have a key verse for the book of 2 Thessalonians, it'd be chapter 3 and verse 13 would be my key verse. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. They were struggling. They were under persecution. And Paul says, don't grow weary in your well-doing. We see there are some things that Paul talks about in this passage and about being diligent despite uncertainty. Chapter 3, verse number 1. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. Paul says, hey, in these uncertain times, the persecution taking place, the Lord's not coming yet. Here's some things you need to be diligent to. First thing is you need to be diligent in prayer for the work of God. Hey, church, we live in uncertain times today, don't we? I think that this passage of Scripture should be a great reminder for the people of God. Hey, let's be diligent in prayer for the work of God. You see that in verse 1, Paul say, Pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. That's what we need today. We need to be praying that the word of God has free course. That the gospel is shared. And we need to diligently pray for the work of God. Paul also tells them in verse number 5, they need to be diligent, be diligent in their personal spiritual life. Be diligent in your personal spiritual life. Look at verse number 5. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. Hey, just diligently keep your eyes on the Lord. Let Him lead you. Let Him guide you. Let Him direct your heart. 
be patient waiting for Christ. Because it gets tough. You look around, you look at the craziness in our world, it would just be so much easier for the Lord just to come. But there's that person that needs to get saved. On Monday, Frank needed to get saved. And if the Lord came Sunday, Frank couldn't have gotten saved on Monday. So Frank is thankful that God didn't come on Sunday and that he was still here Monday. We need to patiently wait for the Lord and live for him and be diligent in our personal spiritual lives. And then next, Paul tells him here to be diligent in your service for God. Verse 10 through 14 For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. Whoa, what a verse right there. Let's look at that again. This is the Bible. This isn't pastor speaking. If any would not work, neither should he eat. Whoa, that doesn't fly very well in the face of a liberal today, does it? Let's just give everyone everything for free. Let's toss them this. You're entitled to everything. And what does God say? If you don't work, you shouldn't eat. Now, even in Bible days, there are those who couldn't work. And they were helped. But we live in a day and age where a lot of people on welfare shouldn't be on welfare. You should get off your bottom and go work. And if you can't go work, then you don't deserve to eat. That doesn't fly well with a lot of people, but it's what the Bible says. We do much better to follow God's word than anything else. Verse number 11. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such we command and exhort by the Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own breath, that they just mind their own business. Quit, quit worrying about everyone else. Mind, get to work yourself. Do what you need to do and shut up and worry about yourself. That's in the Greek right there, verse 13. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. In verse 14, the scripture tells us there, and if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. And we just see diligence, and just be diligent in your service for God. Yeah, we live in uncertain times. Yes, there could be persecution. There could be hard times coming. What do we do in light of all those things? We'll be diligent to pray that God's word and God's work continues to go. Be diligent in your spiritual life. Be diligent in your service for God. Stay faithful to him, even when you don't understand Stay out of other people's business when you don't understand. Best way to do that is just to stay busy serving. You don't have time to deal with busybodies when you're busy doing God's work. When you're not working, that's when you got time to do this and this. We don't need busybodies. Let me just give you a little thought, and we're done here. Some of you already, some of you give me a look tonight because I talked about the president a little bit. I talk about different things. Just relax a little bit, okay? Just calm down just a little bit. We don't need busybodies in the church. You got a problem with anything and there's an issue? Come see me. I love when people call me and say, well, so-and-so told so-and-so this. If you're not man enough or woman enough to come and just say what's wrong, then just, I don't have time for that. 
Paul didn't either. You see that right here. I'm too busy doing the work of God. Why don't you just you say, I've got to be careful what I say here. Let's just be busy doing the things of God. So, sometimes we look at people and they're like, Pastor, I'm not happy about this and I'm not happy about that. And you, when's the last time you've been to my house and seen me? Why don't you come help me pull up carpet? Why don't you go on a visit with me? Why don't you just get busy doing the work of God and you'll be around me plenty? I'm too busy doing God's work because the Lord's coming again. That's how we're supposed to live in light of his coming. And Paul told them that at the end of 1 Thessalonians, and then they got a little confused. The persecution came. What are we supposed to do? The Lord, he already came. What's going on? And Paul says, just relax. Everything's all right. He hasn't came yet. The Lord's working. Everything's going to be all right. Be diligent to pray. Be diligent in your spiritual life. Stay busy doing the work of God, and everything will take. God will take care of everything else. That's what we got to remember and what we can't forget. Father, we thank you for the time that we've had tonight. We thank you for this passage of Scripture.